0: Welcome to Elixir Talk, the podcast where we talk about Elixir. My name is Desmond Bowie, and I am here with my co-host, Chris
1: Bell. We were uh, pretty literal in the name of Elixir Talk, eh? I know, it was a great uh, conversation when we came up with the the title for that one. Yeah, we probably should have thought a bit more about it. (laughs) But if you stumble on the right answer so quickly, like, where do you go from there? That's true. Very good SEO. Yeah. SEO magic right there. I know, right? Yeah. Short to the point, we should have been uh, marketing people instead of programmers. Uh, How's your day going, Desmond? It's been all right. Working away. Working away. Lifting weights. Damn. Voting. Oh, there you go. Did you vote? I can't do that yet. Oh, really? Yeah, it's, it's all about the not being a US citizen and all that, you know. You don't have a criminal record or anything, do you? No, and I definitely wouldn't divulge that on a podcast either if I did. (laughs) It's public record. Everyone knows about that stuff. uh, That's true, I guess. You could look that up. So, uh, yeah, you can look it up. I don't. So, just in case anyone wanted to. So, speaking of looking things up, um, I thought something that we could do a
0: little differently this episode was uh, talk about, or just mention briefly, some things that are happening around the community.
1: Sure. I mean... I have seen a lot of buzz about Dave Thomas's talk, which we kind of mentioned on uh, the, the the episode last time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big news! Uh, Dave Thomas delivered one of the keynotes at MPEX a
0: couple weeks ago with some new ideas about how to write our Elixir applications.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I think it's been it's been well received, right? Like, there hasn't. I think there's been a lot of people kind of uh, challenging some of the ideas, but there's been a, an interesting kind of uh, I don't know just a, an interesting discussion come off of it so which I think was his point in like
0: trying to piss yeah. us off trying to provoke conversation and trying to inject some new ideas into the debate definitely
1: yeah what else have you seen been going on
0: Uh, it seems like the conversations around configuration have died down a little bit Uh,
1: you, was there a winner
0: honestly I don't care <laughs>
1: I know it's bad to say that. <laughs> I really Why care. do you say it like that? Yeah, I, I would assume that we should all care, given that, uh, you know, we all are users of Elixir and everything. That's so. true. And I have run into some configuration pain
0: points, um, but I don't have a lot of useful input, I would say. Right, right. And I can't worry about everything. At some point, you have to say, someone else, please take care of this for me.
1: Yeah, we're just uh, lazy people who like to consume what other people have done, right? Well, we also are pundits. We have this, this podcast, so we're also known as critics. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Although we're not that critical, so uh, I don't know. Who knows? Should we introduce our extra special guest today? For sure. We have a super special guest on this episode, which is
0: Andrew Summers, who is working on the Dialyxer project. And um, are
2: you on like the core Dialyxer team, Andrew? Um, So there really isn't a core or team, it's just uh, the project author, and then I kind of jumped aboard and and decided to do some work on it. Um, So I think I'm technically listed as a collaborator or something, in whatever GitHub parlance there is on that one. Cool. Well, welcome to the show. Yeah, welcome, Andrew. It's great to have you. Do you want to tell us a little bit about uh,
0: where you work, what you're working on, where you live?
2: Yeah, so I uh, I live in Chicago. I work for a company called Albert. Uh, We do education technology software, um, providing tools for teachers, tools for students in order to help them better manage their classrooms better and do better on their exams and, uh, I guess, in life as well. Nice.
1: That sounds great. Uh, What got you into Elixir in the first place?
2: So we we had to migrate... To from RethinkDB to Postgres as just an internal task. Uh, I'm not sure how up and up you guys are on the politics surrounding the fall of RethinkDB, um, but the long and short of it is that they realized that they had a little bit more ambitious of a project than, than they thought that they had, <laughs> um, and then ran out of money effectively. Um, and so while it was a wonderful database, the support kind of died off after a little while, um, and Postgres does not seem to have that problem. Um, and so we jumped onto Elixir as just a means to help us jump into that world and help us solve that problem. Um, it had libraries for both be and, uh, Postgres and there we went. So do you have an Erlang background? I do not. Um, I have a Java background, um, and our previous stack was in JavaScript, Oh, interesting so you migrated from
1: node to elixir or that's correct yeah, That's oh, correct cool. okay yeah so have you finished that migration at this point or is there still things hanging around
2: more or less it's more or less done so yeah as as with all all long-term uh, technology migrations you you always have those residual things that stick around but for the most part everything's kind of just moved over at this point very cool so are you a big
1: elixir fan at this point as well then I am indeed. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's awesome to have you on the show. I mean, as the maintainer of dialect, so it's like really great to have you talk a bit more about type specs with us as well. Absolutely. Type specs are great. <laughs> How did you get in touch? You and Desmond kind of reached out to each other, right? Or you got in touch with Desmond?
2: Yeah, I actually reached out over Twitter um, and then we, we had a brief exchange and uh, exchange emails and, and then... Uh, went through the scheduling process of figuring out how to be on here nice
1: were you mad about our episode where we talked about type specs and got things completely wrong or was that
2: uh um it was it was fine it was fine it was uh (laughs) it was it was an accurate state of a lot of things so nice (laughs) an accurate state of a lot of things
1: (laughs) that's what we aim
2: for that's our (laughs) (laughs) tagline.
0: Cool. So you mentioned that uh, one of the things you're working on now is specifically improving the formatting of Dialyxer. Well, before we get into that, um, could you tell us and some of our listeners who maybe aren't as familiar with Dialyxer what it
2: is, why you should use it, and where it comes from? Sure. Um, so, dialyzer itself was written in the '90s as a way to help solve some of the missing type spec problems that existed in Erlang at the time. Um, there was thought that there existed incorrect programs that w- the tooling didn't necessarily tell you were incorrect, um, but due to the limitations of uh, Erlang itself already having been already having been out and on computers and in production for the previous half decade, decade or so, um, there also existed the dichotomy where there were a lot of correct programs that the type specer shouldn't necessarily tell you were incorrect. And so from that, they came up with some research around it and came out with this tool called Dialyzer. Now Dialyzer itself builds builds on this notion called success typing. Um, And the way to think about that is that if as long as one of the branches of your program can, as, as long as the tool can recognize that one of the per- branches of your program can produce a successful type that matches the specs stated type, then it'll it'll succeed. Um, it's a little bit more nuanced than that, but that, that's the way to kind of conceptualize it. And then so from there, Dialyxer is just a wrapper around Dialyzer um, that at, at its heart just calls Dialyzer Run, and then now at this point takes the output and then morphs it a little bit for consumption by uh, Elixir programmers.
0: So then to be clear for our listeners at home, if you're writing an Elixir application, you want to
2: run dialyzer. That's correct. Now there are other tools that are in the Elixir ecosystem. I think Comcast has a wrapper, um, and there there's another, another couple that are They're just different as far as the the mixed task interface that they give out, but they all effectively are just wrappers around Dialyzer itself. So why would I want to use this? So why you would want to use a type specer in general is that it's it's very helpful. So if you have a function that says that it takes in a Boolean um, and an integer and you pass it a string and... Or you pass it two strings, for example, then Dialyzer is sufficiently smart to be able to tell you that you did that wrong, and that when you run that program in production, that it's going to blow up, or at least it's not doing exactly what you said that it was going to be doing. Cool. So, what have you been doing with it? Oh, I'm sorry, I was going to interject and say, are you a big type fan then? I am. I, I like types. Um coming from coming from a Java background, uh, as 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 incomplete as that type system might be, and while there might exist better ones, having the immediate feedback of saying, hey, you said that you were gonna pass in a string here and you're you're not actually passing in a string, um, having that kind of feedback is is just really nice. Um and I, I consider it one of the many layers of a bunch of coarsely cast nets to try and find the errors in my code in addition to unit tests and QA tests and and all the the things that go into the software lifecycle around that. How
1: would you feel when people have that argument about, uh, well, I have
2: types, so I don't need tests? So in Dialyzer in particular, Dialyzer being a success type, it will definitely tell you that things are correct that are not actually correct. Um, So in in more evolved type systems, uh, for example, in some of the ones that they use in standard ML or Haskell um, or some of those sorts of more, uh, some of those languages with with stronger type systems, you might be able to get away with that. Uh, But in Elixir and Erlang in particular, you definitely cannot, you do not get any such guarantees from the type system.
1: So Desmond, how do you feel about that as someone who's recently embarked on that journey? The journey of type specs? Yeah. Didn't you have, weren't you introducing them as a a kind of a stopgap until you had enough kind of test coverage on a few things?
0: Yes. And I think that you still give me some benefit. They caught a lot of errors. And even if it's not a blanket 100%, you know, wrap me up and I'll sleep well at night guarantee, I'll still take it. It's better than nothing. And I think that leads into the next question, which is how big of a bummer is it that it is success typing as opposed to, um, Guaranteed, no failure typing.
2: Yeah, I, uh, I I definitely wish there there were some stronger guarantees. And with some of the work that we've seen going into other languages, uh, closure has closure spec that got bolted on afterwards. JavaScript has type spec and flow types. Um, there there definitely is some hope that potentially there there might be alternate type spec systems. Um, but you know, Dialyzer is what we got right now. So it's you know we just have to work to make our tools just a little bit better uh, until until we have something else. So you've been working to make this a little better. I have. So one of the big complaints, well, so there's several complaints that people have when they're when they're trying to introduce stylizer into their um, uh-huh. into their into their code base. One of which is the the persistent lookup table. So I'm going to just briefly cover this just so I can get it out of the way. The persistent lookup table is effectively Dialyzer going in and running Dialyzer on all of your dependencies and then just caching the results of that analysis. And it stores it in this this file called the PLT or the persistent lookup table. Um, and you can think of your... PLT as just a a shortcut to Dialyzer doing things more quickly and so when people are running Dialyzer in a continuous integration capacity they wind up having to do a couple of gymnastics in order to cache their PLT file. We haven't written up anything explicitly around this but it's basically the triplet of your elixir version your erlang version and the md5 of your lock file if you can figure out some way to cache that triplet somewhere you can get away with a lot of the uh you can get a lot of the speed improvements that go along with that um but there isn't a nice story around that quite yet um and people haven't really written a lot of blog posts around it or or anything in that realm yet unfortunately but the other issue that people have is that the error messages just were were not very friendly um, they had a lot of Erlang syntax and and they just they were they were definitely designed for the tool that they were designed for um, in Erlang there's actually some some nicer things that you can get out of dialyzer like it'll suggest some some more correct type hints for you um, but given given that we're we're bolting ourselves onto this type checker that was already bolted onto the language. Um, There just really isn't an expectation that that should be nicer. So what I did is I went in and tried to make those error messages a little bit better by... So first of all, we had to go through and enumerate all the errors that Dialyzer would produce. That was oddly harder than it should have been. I should have just gone in and uh, looked at the Erlang source itself, um, but instead I looked at uh, some some other projects that people people had kind of done. So the Erlang community actually realized that some of their error messages were not were not sufficiently good either. And so the rebar package, uh, which is more or less mix for Erlang, um, went through and they wrapped some of dialyzer's messages and. Uh, dialyze messages in that project. So I used that as a starting off point, kind of just went in, looked at what they were doing, looked at looked at kind of the errors that were being produced and then realized that I needed to lex and parse everything and then wind up pretty printing them back out into Elixir in some capacity. So that, that was kind of the, the, the realization that I came, came to when uh, going through and doing that. So what will the outputs end up looking like? You mentioned pretty printing. Yeah. So one of, one of the things that I, I came to the realization of is that Dialyzer doesn't give you the AST representation of any of your errors, uh, the, the abstract syntax tree of, of just the, the beam files that it's, uh, that it's crawling over. And so when it gives you an error, it actually gives you a stringified version of that error already. Figuring out what the actual text that it was putting in there and figuring out how to wrap that, as well as taking taking the already stringified Erlang structs and turning those into a nicer representation was, was the heart of the problem. And I realized that I could use the code formatter. What Dialyxer will do is it'll go in and it'll lex the, the struct representation that Dialyzer spits out, it'll parse it, it'll turn it into a different abstract syntax representation that I'm that I'm kind of using internally. And then it spits out the elixir equivalent of all of that, and then runs it through the code formatter, in order to to produce a struct that's a little bit more readable um, in the error messages. How accurate does that make it? it seems pretty accurate uh we've, we've had a we've had a, a github issue open for about a month and people were, were posting issues that they were coming across as they found it or as they found them but elixir and erlang are pretty simple languages there's not that many many concepts to to have to represent um and so with very few lexing and parsing rules uh was able to go in and, and create a pretty decent representation of of I guess the reverse engineered elixir on top of the dialyzer messages,
1: so you're basically taking the Erlang and turning it back into elixir. that's correct, wow, okay, so you're, yeah, yeah, that's kind of interesting, building like
2: a reverse compiler like that, I guess, yeah yeah. I definitely had to, uh, to, to dig back into some of the compiler courses that, that I've taken that I was like, huh, I need to remember how lexing and parsing work again. Yeah. And did you end up using the Erlang kind of lexer and parsing
1: stuff? Or... I
2: did. I did. So Erlang has these two really, really nifty tools that I didn't know about until I started this called Leaks and Yek. Um, and leaks, I'm not exactly sure what it stands for. And, uh, YAC, I like to think of yet another, uh, compiler compiler. Um, I'm not I'm sure it's like it, Erlang's in there in some capacity, but, uh, that, that's how I always remember that it's got two C's instead of, uh, two E's, but there are these two tools that are built into erlang itself and it runs as i believe it runs as a compiler pass where it'll go through and if you have any files that are formatted for leaks and yacc it'll run through and it'll it'll pre- it'll produce erlang modules that you can call into to do the parsing and the lexing on your behalf so it takes those lexers and parsers and then and just turns it into the equivalent erlang code that'll that'll run those lexing and parsing rules is the way to think about it but yeah we i used both of those and uh they they worked really well there there wasn't a lot of documentation around them um but once you kind of got something up and running they were they were pretty straightforward to keep following the patterns of what was happening was that easier than
0: changing dialyzer itself to maybe have an option to make it pass out
2: the ast instead of a string that would be wonderful. Um, I know that there's work going into Dialyzer for Google Summer of Code right now, so I'm not sure. I'm actually not sure the the scope of that work, uh, but I do know that they're trying to make that interface a little bit better. So hopefully, one of the things that comes out of this is that I am able to delete a large portion of the code um, and just leave the the error message part hanging around. So, I mean, so as
1: a user of this, like we should be pretty thankful to you that you've gone to all of this trouble to make sure that our, uh, you know, our dialyzer errors actually look that nice. So thank you, Andrew, for doing all that work. That's awesome to see. And uh, I actually haven't run dialyzer in a really long time on our code base. But now that I know about all this pretty printing,
2: I'm definitely going to do that. So it's really awesome. Yeah, I definitely encourage it. I know that they're going to be coming out with, a, depending on when this airs, uh, their Dialixer is coming out with a new release. So if that's out, then great. Please use that. But if not, Master's really stable and, and should just be able to be consumed. What's the uh, what's the new version going to be? I think they're aiming for a 1.0, actually. I, I think I think he's trying to put a 1.0 on the project. Um, so it'll it'll be a pretty substantial bump. I, I think it's at 0.5 right now, so... Something something close to the 1.0 range will, will indicate that you got the right one.
0: Cool. Well, if uh, our listeners want to head over to Hex and see what the latest version is, look for 1.0 or a recent release. I have another question about um, the PLT because I run Dialyzer Dialyxer pretty regularly at work, and it's pretty slow. And it's not a large code base. So is that, and I want to clarify something you said earlier, the persistent lookup table, tree? table, persistent lookup table, is that um, a cache of just my dependencies
2: or my entire application? It's just your dependencies. Um, I actually didn't know that for, for a long time uh, and then one of the helpful, helpful people in the Elixir chat explained that the only time that that comes into effect is when your your dependencies change.
0: So, should I usually be running mix, dialixer, dash
2: dash, no PLT? We... So, in our build process, we pull in the previous plt. When we when we push out a build, we we push we tag the PLT part of our of our Docker image with the latest tag as well as with the SHA we we run a checksum on the or we run a hash on the lock file to just produce a, a string that we can use. And then the triplet of that string, the Elixir version and the Erlang version, basically determine whether or not you need to rebuild your PLT. And so if you if your dependencies don't change, then you can just pull that PLT down and just run with it. But if it does change, then you kind of want to get the most recent one and then use that as your starting off point because it won't need to rebuild all of your dependencies, just the ones that, that have changed. So if I'm running this locally as opposed to in CI and I'm just on my mm-hmm.
0: command line, I don't want to just run mixed dialixer. I usually want to add this no
2: PLT option. I actually just run mixed or that that's they mixed i guess it's dialyzer i think it's the one that they use but i i just run it without any arguments okay personally and just deal with it being kind of slow yeah because it doesn't need to rebuild it if it has it there already yeah I'm, I'm actually curious where where you're seeing some the performance degradation i think if you have an umbrella app then it'll treat portions like because it'll because one of your apps is technically one of your dependencies, I think it gets a little a little confused there, but I'm not sure on the specifics of that behavior. Uh, but I have seen some, some weird stuff when you when you have to recompile one of the inner apps of an umbrella. Okay, yeah, we
0: have an umbrella app at work, so perhaps that's it. Is there anything I can do to investigate the cause that slowness? i'm not sure to be honest with you okay sorry that's fine (laughs) Sorry,
2: i can't uh, be more help there
0: no i know you're not uh you know the person who knows everything about everything but i thought i'd ask since i have you here now
1: (laughs) free question time that's it (laughs) yeah Uh uh-huh that's cool so andrew what are your thoughts about typing going
2: forward in elixir like what would you want to see in the language if you could so one pattern that we've we've started using a lot of is using a behavior as as a data module interface, and so what I mean by that is that we we will we will have a behavior that that says that you implement a, a bunch of functions, and those functions will all just return data about your your type of your type of thing. Um, and so, as an example, if I have a, a user, a user might have an attributes function that returns, it's uh, a list of first name, last name, you know, attributes about itself. And it, it might have relationship, it might have a data structure that contains relationships about the user and their posts, for example. And then that would get codified in a, in a data structure. What you can then do is you can take those data structures and using, using macros, you can just inflate a lot of behavior by just asking those modules Beha- like information about themselves. Um, Ecto uses this pattern as an example. There's an underscore underscore schema uh, function in there that you can kind of just ask questions about, uh, about the schema. And so one of the things that might be nice is being able to pop in, being able to say that my module necessarily implements this behavior. And when I'm passing a module around in the code, being able to, to say that this thing is a, something so like in in java for example you can say if something defines an interface you can you know it's flyable or whatever then passing that around you know that i can call fly on you i kind of want to get a a similar kind of oh so like guaranteeing the functions that are available to that interface exactly exactly Exactly. um so that would be really nice i'm uh i'm not sure if that would necessarily get traction um but a a a, a big issue is is kind of just figuring out the lines between dialyzer itself and elixir and what we want what we want those communication bounds to to look like Mm -hmm. um because i think ultimately at the end of the day we do we do want to build something a little bit better in elixir um but we don't want to throw away the last 25 years of of research and bug fixes and be able to to use that as a primitive in whatever whatever system we come up with, and then potentially just add our add our own checks on top of that. Mm.
1: No, it makes sense. the The interface idea is really interesting. Actually, I was thinking about how you could do it right now if you didn't do that. But I guess if it's a behavior, you have to know about all of the sh- all of the modules that implement that behavior. So you'd have to. I was thinking, oh, you could kind of do that in a pattern match on a function head, but you can't really because you have to know
2: ahead of time about everything that implements that behavior. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I've been thinking about that one for a little bit and I don't, I don't think there's a way to represent it. You can kind of get close by using like at impulse in your, in your behavior. So you can kind of, you get the guarantees on that side of it. But from, from the call site perspective, it's uh you, you don't, you don't really get too much there. But do you do a lot of
1: that right now? Are you passing around like uh, references to modules instead of just calling those modules so you're doing a lot of like kind of dependency
2: injection style stuff. yeah we're we're doing a lot of that we we have a uh we have a very interesting api that kind of inflates itself uh so we have like five or, we have like five or six methods so like create update read show all and then we just feed in the modules there and it knows how to build itself so you wrote active record is that what you're kind of but not really it's it's more it's more building heavily on top of ecto and all the, the wonderful things that ecto allows you to do uh, as far as just creating queries on the fly for yourself how do you feel about that given like elixir's explicit kind of leaning so it is st- it is all still function calls so at the end of the day it's it's all just macros and it's all just function calls and and things of that nature and and if you wanted to, you could go in and just call those functions yourself. So there's not really any, any mat with the same parameters. So there's not really any magic that's happening there in the same way that Dave Thomas is kind of suggesting that we don't have to necessarily call all the gen server functions in every single one of, in every single time we write one of the gen servers that we can kind of have a nicer layer of abstraction that sits above that. It's, it's the same kind of thing. Mm-hmm.
1: No, I understand that, especially when the API is so similar, it's when they
2: diverge, right? That's when it can be problematic. Absolutely. And we actually started with with a fully, we started with explicit function calls everywhere, but then we just realized that everything was the same and that the more things that we could make the same, the easier it was to document, the easier it was to predict behavior, the easier it was to just not have bugs show up because it's going through this slightly different pipeline over here right and do you feel like macros
1: are an okay way to do that because i mean there's an interesting kind of perspective in the community where it's like don't use macros right and you you hear it a lot
2: i think that macros are, are useful i think so in in our case we we provide a dsl it, it actually looks very similar to ecto so I, I analogize it very well to or very far into that lane where ecto is a dsl that eventually spits out a module that contains functions about your your schema and about things related to related to the data that you've you've been feeding it it's we we use that kind of pattern um and which lets us put really nice facades over some rather nasty plumbing underneath the hood and i think macros are beautiful for that and i think that's exactly what they were what they were designed for
1: yeah i kind of agree with you like that like being able to define uh functions like that in a in a module and then just you know having them available and then just doing that dynamically is so powerful so but now i understand why you want that typing side of things (laughs)
2: yeah
1: (laughs) yeah so you can just say i'm passing around
2: one of these kind of generic types and i want to enforce that it has this function exactly and we we have we have a couple like data structures that, that all have that property. Um, and even if you look inside of, uh, itself, um, I, kind of use that, that property there. So each warning module has its own set of functions and it, it all implements a behavior and everything, but I, I get no guarantees at the call site that, that of the format short function exists or the explain function exists or anything. You know, what, how you could do
1: this today is you could write your own def, as a function call that wraps it and then inspect introspects the module and then figures out like if you can call that. Because you could do all of that at compile time. You could. You could. That'd be interesting. Or so this is where like having a custom guard would be really awesome as well, right? Like if you could do a when implements behavior. And then you could say that like that function has to exist on that module that's being passed in.
2: Yeah, that would be great. That that yeah, would, that would probably work very well. Yeah, I that I
1: I understand why you, there's only a limited set of guards, but it would be really nice to expand that group at some point. But I I get it. I get that it's uh yeah, kind of goes down into Erlang world. So it's unfortunate that we are. I, I don't know, we're, we're kind of like blessed by this runtime. And then also like, we're, we're slightly
2: in the box of it as well. Right. Yeah, we definitely took, took along the baggage that, that came along with Erlang and most of the stuff in there is, is wonderful. And I, I, I love all the tools that I work with, but, uh, there, there were definitely some, some older patterns in there that software has kind of figured out that might not necessarily be the best way we want to represent stuff all the way around. I mean, to
0: their credit, it seems like the airline community has generally reacted positively to the emergence of Elixir and some new pressure and fresh eyes on some of this stuff being like, hey, everyone, maybe we should <laughs> have another look at this. And I've been too involved in a lot of these discussions or projects. But the response, as I said, tends to be generally favorable. And it seems like the airline community is kind of getting up to speed uh, in some ways. And I think the more we in the Elixir community press on this and the more they sense that, Oh, there's, there's an opportunity to bring new life into these tools. Like we have fresh energy, fresh ideas, fresh minds. Maybe it is time to have another look at some of these
2: tools and some of these patterns. Yeah. I think you see that a lot with, with languages that kind of come onto already existing ecosystems. Uh, So Scala and Clojure coming onto the JVM is, is, I guess the the one that's sticking out in my mind um and when they came on there being the functional languages that they are they realized that they needed more uh escape analysis Uh, i'm not sure if that's a, a term that people don't know um so one of one of the things that you can do is you can recognize that terms inside of your function are not going to be messed with later when you have more guarantees about about the purity of, of whatever functions that you're calling and that they're not going to change the state from under you. And so when when because closure and scholar are built with that in mind, they were able at the at the call site, they were able to just make different guarantees than the JVM allowed you to provide. And so they're they're working on adding things into the JVM bytecode that allows them to just do much more powerful compiler magic. And so I, I think looking at, at that at at how that has evolved and, and the symbiosis between between the languages and their and their host VM and kind of mimicking some of the success stories will just go a long way in Erlang and Elixir to make it wonderful. I love that. Yeah, the challenge
0: is that there's more Java programmers than there are people know how to mess with
2: the, the Beam or OTP. That's true, but I, I think that that comes down to an evangelism problem, not a tech problem necessarily. I think if you, like, looking into the code, as, as much as I didn't want to necessarily touch Dialyzer's core itself as part of this project, um, the code is relatively accessible. A lot of, a lot of the... Elixir concepts carry over really well into Erlang and you just need to, to kind of just squint a little bit and go, oh yeah, I would do that this way over here, but now I have to do this over this way over here because I don't necessarily have access to the same tools. I,
0: I mean, I hope you're right. Like one thing we talked about on the show a lot is the need for um, more, I would call it foundational work uh, in the Elixir community on basic libraries that we all need to get our jobs done. And one of the persistent themes is that there just seems to be not a lot of people who know how to do this sort of thing. And it is a young community. I mean, I think we need to be generous or compassionate with ourselves. It seems like not a lot of folks feel confident to start hacking on that sort of thing. And I think that's just, as you said, an evangelism question and I think a time question. As people gain more experience with this, you feel more comfortable. Like, that just takes time. So I'm optimistic that the next like two or three years are going to be very interesting once we hit a critical mass.
2: I agree with that.
1: Cool. Cool. Well, Andrew, it's been so awesome having you here today and especially getting to hear about some of the great work that you've been doing. And, uh, I guess on behalf of the community, we want to say thank you. And, uh, Hopefully, we can all contribute back and make dialects are even better as well. So, thanks for your work. If there's
2: any issues that, that people have with the project or any any suggestions, uh, please make issues. Please make pull requests. Please just make make those issues known because it's it's ultimately the community's project. It's not it's not my project or anybody else's. It's 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 our tooling. So we just need to collectively just all work to make it better. Here, here to that. Yeah, definitely. So, uh,
1: thank you so much for being here today. And, uh, yeah, we'll hopefully see you at a conference soon. I don't know if you attend many, but I don't know. If, are you planning to go into any
2: this summer? Or I'm going to try, try and make it out for ElixirConf, but I'm, I'm not sure if that's going to wind up happening. We'll see. I'll let you know if I do, though. So there's word on the street that
1: we might, at MPEX, we might be doing another uh, sponsor of a bar. I don't know if that's true, Desmond. Is that true? So, that's true.
0: <laughs> we'll drop this now um this year after one of the nights of elixir Conf, we're not sure yet but we're going to host uh, an after party at a pinball bar in seattle called shorties uh, which is a really fun place they serve hot dogs get a nice private room and a ton of pinball machines and regular listeners will know that i'm a big fan of pinball and we did this last year it was a ton of fun we rented a bus to take some folks from the conference into seattle we hope to do that again Stay tuned, watch the MPEX Twitter feed, and, I mean, we'll probably do a lot of this stuff last minute, so just show up to the
1: conference and chat with us, and we'll have to see you there. It'd be nice to do it not last minute, right? That's our whole MO, I think, right at this point, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess, I mean... Yeah, but it'll be awesome to have everyone down into a bar, and we can all kind of hang out, and you can meet all your Elixir friends, so I definitely... uh, really appreciate going to all these conferences and seeing all these people and seeing the, the faces uh the usual suspects and things so yeah yeah
0: and hanging out on the bar track or the pinball oh, yes. track yeah
1: i think that's it i think it should yes. be the pinball track
0: the pinball track i like it definitely cool well thanks again to andrew for joining us uh we will see you around the internet and um, if any of our listeners have questions for him or us
1: please feel free to reach out and until next time keep elixiring. keep Keep dialecturing. Oh, keep dialecturing, nice.